What's up, Biker fans? My guest today has a few stories to tell, both interesting and quite entertaining, especially when we get to his factory visits. His name is Oliver Montague, and he's the founder and inventor of the Switch e-bike conversion kit. Switch allows you to turn basically any bike into an electric assist e-bike using a front wheel hub motor and lightweight battery pack that clicks onto a proprietary mount that couldn't be easier to use. This interview isn't so much about the tech and the product, although we do cover that. It's more about how Oliver started the company by using Chinese e-bike kits and random parts to help others convert their bikes and, after trying hundreds of different combinations, figuring out a better solution and then launching a company to make it real. Whether you like e-bikes or not, this one's a really fun conversation about how things work behind the scenes. Please welcome Oliver Montague. Hey Oliver, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hello, yeah, really well, thanks. Nice Very to good. meet you. Yeah, thank you. Likewise. Um, so I should just kind of let our listeners know that we do have one of your kits on the way. So depending on when you're listening to this, if you search switch on Bike Rumor, and that's S-W-Y-T-C-H, you may or may not be able to find the review. And if not, just check back, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, maybe. But um, so switch e-bike conversion kit. Where did this idea come from? How'd you guys get started? Good question. Well, I guess... Um the start of the story really starts with how I got into e-bikes in the first place, uh, because it was getting into building e-bikes myself, um, sourcing different types of e-bike kit from China, getting into selling them on an eBay shop, etc. that ultimately led to me kind of having the brainwave of what has now turned into Switch. But yeah, how I first got into e-bikes came out of working at Jaguar Land Rover for a summer. So I'd been studying engineering and I managed to get an internship at Jaguar Land Rover in their electric vehicles department. And uh, electric vehicle technology has always been something I've been passionate about. And um, I was pretty poor student at the time, didn't have a car, was living 10 miles away from the, uh, the offices and was cycling there to and back 10 miles every day which was great, took me about 45 minutes. Uh, And one day I arrived totally drenched in sweat. And my manager uh, arrived at the same time too, on a suit, uh, in a suit, sorry, on his bike. And uh, I I said, oh, I didn't realize you lived so close to the office. And he goes, no, no, I live uh, in, you know, North Leamington Spa, which is like the nearby town. And so he lived on the other side of the town, actually further away from me. And it was that point that I kind of did a double take and was like, well, hold on a second. Like, how long did it take you to cycle here? I was thinking, like, he's in a suit and I'm here drenched in sweat. Like, what's going on? This guy must be a machine if he's kind of gone further than me. Something wasn't adding up. And then he pointed to this battery on his bike and he was like, oh, it's an electric bike. And that was just the moment where I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long ago was this? Because, I mean, you know, I can remember a time when e bikes were like you kind of alluded to like they were things that people hacked together with parts they ordered uh, you know from wherever so his bike was a power bike spelled p-a-w-a and this was oh crikey like 2010 so 10 years ago and so he hadn't built his own e-bike he had bought one for like something like two thousand pounds it was a pretty horrendous looking frankenstein-y style e-bike because e-bikes weren't pretty particularly sexy at the time but yeah, he was well chuffed with it, and I was impressed. 
And uh, yeah, I'd kind of already been in the market that summer for doing some kind of DIY vehicle project. And I'd been thinking about building an electric go-kart. But the more I looked into it, the more complex it seemed to be. And I was going to have to like get a garage somewhere to work on it. And yeah, in that moment, I kind of realized that my project was going to be building an electric bike. Very nice. Yeah. So th- that's funny because like I've got a friend that has built a couple in his day and yeah, they're not pretty for sure. You just, it feels like you're slapping a bunch of stuff on there and having to make something work that was not necessarily designed to work that way, which I think your product solves. And we'll get to that in a minute because it is a fairly sleek looking package. But, and I also, I just want to add too, like when you say, I love the way people from the UK say, Jaguar, because here in the States, it's Jaguar, but it sounds so much more eloquent coming out of your mouth than out of mine. <laughs> yes, uh, Jaguar Land Rover, oh, indeed. <laughs> Lovely. So, okay, so you you're, you saw your bosses and you got that spark. What was the first step? You just like finding parts? Yeah, so my first step was I almost gave up because I saw how expensive it was to even buy an electric bike kit. And I was like, well, I could kind of, buy you know a car for that amount it was like you know 800 pounds a thousand pounds i thought no it's just this is uh too much but it kind of made sense because the e-bike was 2000 right so it was kind of half that for a kit um so my next step was pretty much to um make up a business name and go and contact the source so i got in touch with some chinese companies and said hey i'm oliver from uh, oxford electric engineering limited um, and I'm really interested in your products. Would you uh, could, would you send me a sample? And obviously, none of them actually sent me a free sample, but I managed to you know get some pretty good prices, indicative if you if you were ordering a hundred, but just for one. And yeah, that's where it started. And I think my first the first e bike kit I got had what's called a frog battery, was like the name, and it went behind the seat post, and it was a horrifically ugly contraption. It was like two metal bits that you had to like just physically screw and tighten onto the seat post with all kinds of like i had to get like rubber spaces from other <laughs> bits and and then like seal it up and the fact that you know i got it to go together and the battery went on but this was like kind of like a multiple weekend project to get that finished so that it worked and looked nice um and i, I bought two kits and one of them was total trash and the other one was good so that was like my first uh, first bit of testing that's cool. And then I guess once you tested it, you found the one that you liked, you started selling them? Yeah, well, I guess I wasn't really thinking of, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur at the time. I kind of imagined I would go into like a PhD or something in engineering and I wanted to research um, uh, superconductors, like sub-zero superconductors, because I thought that was the sustainable technology that I was most interested in for setting up like low-loss power grids so that you could the the thing I was obsessed with at the time was was how obvious it seemed to me that all of Europe should be powered off of solar powers in solar panels in the Sahara, and if we could only just crack the superconductor connectors to bring that power over to Europe, then all of our problems would be solved. Um, and yeah, I think they're still trying to solve that problem today. You know, like ten years on, um, and so thank goodness I kind of feel like that I ended up finding a kind of a, an outlet for my interest that was just a little bit more practical. Uh, but at the time, this was just a hobby, right? So, yeah, so I wasn't thinking entrepreneurially. I was just thinking like a, like a cheap student 
And I was, I was like, this is great. You know, I can get these kits for way less than a thousand pounds by pretending that I'm a business. And I kind of started building them for other people and they were like willing to pay me a decent amount. And I thought, well, hold on a second. Like when I run out of friends, maybe I can sell a few more. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that in, therein started like just a kind of hapless accident of like, uh, I was like, hey, well, I should make an eBay shop and uh, come up with a name. And then that turned into like a WordPress site. And then eventually I was like, I need a cut. I need someone to help. So I, I employed my sister who was looking for some part-time work. And uh, yeah, because I was still going into a day job every day. It got to the point where I was bringing in like a few hundred grand a year and being left with like a small profit at the end of all of that after all of the overheads. And yeah, it was like snowballing out of control for a, for a part-time job. No, for Not even that, for a hobby business, it was getting wildly out of control because e-bikes have just been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So you know, just being a small fish in that massive wave of growth, it was kind of impossible not to grow. Right. Well, I, I think I'm glad that you mentioned that there was kind of thin margins because I think a lot of people would have heard that number. I mean, I did like my eyebrows lifted when you said a couple hundred grand and then it's quickly qualified with, you know, and, and we made a little bit of money. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a couple of hundred grand a year in sales. But then after paypal's fee and ebay's fee and the vat but you know obviously as soon as i made more than 70 grand in a year now i had to start charging vat then you've got to pay the warehouse and the shipping i had to pay my sister a bit of money and yeah i was left with maybe like 10 grand net profit at the end of each year and so i was like well look you know i need to grow this a lot because at the moment i can pay myself maybe one grand a month and that is not much to live on so but yeah, but I was desperate to kind of, when I started seeing how fast it was growing, I really, really wanted to grow. And that is kind of ultimately what made Switch, because at the time I was importing all these different e-bike kits and I was constantly going to cycle shows to look for new e-bike kits. Uh, and I had maybe like 30 different products on my store. And this is because there are so many different types of bikes. Every day I was getting an email. I was, basically, I was desperate at this point to make every sale I could. So when someone emailed me saying, hey, can you convert this bike? I'd be like, ah, no, but let's find a kit that will work on that bike. So then I'd add that one to the store. And it got to the point where I was having to make this really elaborate kind of bike builder to help people understand which kit. And I was just like, imagine if I could just have one kit that would fit on every bike. And I was constantly searching for like the kits to rule all kits. <laughs> one kit to rule them all. And then, yeah, the eureka moment happened when I was at the Shanghai Bike Fair. This was like a year after I quit my day job and I was kind of running out of any money to keep the thing going. And I was like, look, I need to, it was like one last push. I need to find new products. I need to make more money. I've got to double my revenue at least. Otherwise, I'm going to have to carry on paying myself this piddly amount each month. So I invented, well, I say invented, I kind of designed a bamboo bike. I designed some cycling luggage. I designed some new kits kind of thing. Like th this was all like putting things together in different ways and putting a logo on it at this point. And then when I was looking at cycling bags, it just occurred to me like, hey, these luggage bags will fit on any bike. So why not just put the kit in the bag? And I spoke to people and they're like, no, you're crazy. Uh, that won't work. And I listened to enough <laughs> enough entrepreneur podcasts at that point to be like, God damn it, I have solved it. If people are telling me it won't work, then that is the sign that this is a great idea. 
Yeah, it just means there's an opportunity that nobody else has figured out yet, right? Yeah, exactly. Love it. I think anybody who's been riding any kind of bike for a while, probably, which is anybody who's listening to this podcast, knows that you know there's there's so many different kinds of bikes out there. There's so many different frame shapes and styles, cranks, bottom bracket styles, like everything else. Like I'm guessing all of the kits that you were doing before were all things that were trying to somehow power either the drivetrain or the rear wheel, correct? Yeah, all the front wheel. So I sold all of those things because, yeah, some I used to leave it up to the customer pretty much to decide to go for rear wheel or front wheel because there are some bikes where you can't do the rear wheel easily because of the brakes or the gears or something, you know. And apart from anything else, there are some people that want to have a motor on both wheels. So I had a market <laughs> for both. And, uh, yeah, especially in the USA where people are even more power hungry, uh, I find, than in Europe. Some absolute monster e-bikes I've seen being built in the USA. I mean, more is better, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, we've got rear wheel, the advantage being kind of a little bit more traction because you're sat over that rear wheel. You've got front wheel, the advantage being mainly it's the easiest of all of them to do. Uh, you just pop the wheel off, stick the front motor on. And then you've got mid drive, which is where the motor sits kind of by the pedals and helps you to drive the chain. The main advantage of that being that you get this gearing benefit where the motor can operate at kind of any torque speed ratio that you want. The same as, you know, how you can go at high torque, low speed to pedal speed to go along a flat. But then if you want to go up a hill, you need to have high torque, but low speed. Did I say them the right way around? I, I, I'm not sure. I'd have to like actually. I'd have to write this down to get it right. But <laughs> yeah, right it is like you get much more versatility of the motor, the different inclines and stuff. Yeah, you get the advantage of gearing, right? Like, which I think we all understand. So with yours, obviously, the the goal for you, it sounds like, was ease of installation and universal fit, which basically means front wheel. So what was? Yeah, yeah. I'd you... say I started with universal fit because that was the. That was the problem I needed a solution to. And then um, ease of fitting is just like fundamental to the su having success in the conversion kit market because, you know, you don't want to limit your market to just being kind of like bike engineers that are willing to kind of spend a day tinkering. Right, right. So is it, well, let's talk about the product a little bit then. So it, it is a front wheel that comes in various sizes, you know, so whether you have 700C, 650B, et cetera, you have, you have a number of different wheel sizes to solve for that, but they all essentially use a, a central front hub motor with a battery pack that is inside of a little pouch that attaches to your handlebar. Yeah. And then on top of that, just a few kind of accessories. One is a pedal sensor. So it's a magnet disc that clips to your pedal and then a little electrical sensor that clips to your frame. And then so what that means is as you pedal, the magnets are spinning around past this sensor. So it's kind of like a cadence sensor. And that is the signal that tells the battery controller unit on the handlebars, okay, this person is cycling, let's add some power to the motor. And is it, uh, well, a couple of questions. So if you didn't install that, could you use this as just a throttle-based system or do you have to yes. be pedaling? So our core unit, our, our base product, comes only with the pedal sensor, which makes it kind of road legal anywhere in the world. And it's called, like, this is called a, like a pedal assist e-bike. 
but we also do sell targeted at customers in the USA a throttle as an add-on. And what that means is you plug it in to the handlebars, slip it on, well, you plug it into the unit on the handlebars and then you slip it on to the handlebars and it basically gives you this twist and go functionality. So whether you're pedaling or not, as soon as you twist that thing, it adds more power to the motor. So, and the power it adds is proportional to how far you twist it, just like a motorbike, basically. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're pedaling and you've got the power for pedaling set to 50%, you can carry on going. But if you, as soon as you twist that throttle to more than 50%, it's, that's going to override the pedaling and you're going to get extra. So like if you get to a hill, you might just twist the throttle to whack it up to 100%. Or if someone in Lycra comes past you and you want to take them back, <laughs> you can just instantly get that power and you know leave them in the dust. That's cool. So for the pedal assist side of it, is there? do you still get that throttle control? Not for a throttle, but for, to like adjust the amount of assist that you're getting? So the battery unit is on your handlebars, so it also acts as a as a display. So we have a patent pending that's also filed in the USA for this. And yeah, so the the concept of a combined controller battery display unit, we got some, you know, before we got some advice from some patent experts and they were like, yeah, no one has done that before. So file your patent. And we were sure to do that before we released any information about the product. And yeah, so that bit, that thing on the handlebars also has the display. You can press on the top and turn the power up or down. So, you know, as you're cycling, there's a little bar, there's a little thing with red indicators on it, which tell you kind of what power level you're set to. Um, press up to turn it up, press down to turn it down. And then whatever whatever power you set it to, that's the power you'll get as you pedal. Hmm. I'm kind of curious, just, and this is a, sort of a tangent, but... Patent, you mentioned filing the patent in the US. Is this, it seems like a lot of patents, at least the ones that we see, are filed with the US Patent Trademark Office. Do you need to file a patent in a lot of other countries anywhere you plan on selling this? Or if you file in the US and you get it, is that kind of cover international? So um, the journey we went under was filing in the UK initially um, just to get it done so we could announce the product. And then once we've done that, you have kind of a grace period of about a year and then we filed what's called like an internet i can't remember what the acronym is but it basically means like international pattern holding kind of thing so that gives you like another year to decide where you want to file in other countries so it kind of just puts a hold on that pattern so that if you want to file it in other countries you can but you don't have to pay all the money yet because it's quite expensive and then fortunately two years later we kind of had enough cash flow that we could afford the cost to file in the USA and Europe. And we still have a hold on a bunch of other countries, but currently those are our main markets. So that's where we've invested in actually following through with the patent applications. Cool. So let's talk about manufacturing a little bit. Is this, did you find a hub motor system off the shelf? And then obviously the battery kit with the controller screen is proprietary, but like, what was it like trying to make your own product that was distinctly yours? So I'm going to uh, reference Jaguar Land Rover again. <laughs> so I would liken us to an auto manufacturer. So we haven't invented our own motor or our own controller or our own battery. But what we've done is designed and built the car. We put it all together into a system. Now, the bit that's proprietary for us essentially is the software and the overall 
casing and design and how it all fits together i.e you know the the power pack that's instantly removable the one thing that is really really bespoke that we built from the ground up is the connector which we're you know and this is like the often overlooked because it's not very sexy to shout about in the marketing but the difference between our kit and just a handlebar luggage with a battery inside is if you just start and we have there are some competitors that have sprung up like blatantly copying us but what they've done is just have a battery in a bag with a cable coming out so you have to clip that on and then plug in the cable what's really special about our underlying engineering is we took that cable and put it into the connector so there are these metal clips and sliding contacts in the connector so when you click the power pack on it connects and that's one of the key things that make the product really easy to use because all you need to do is screw that connector on and it, you're ready to go you clip it on and all of the electrical connections are done instantly for you every time you clip it on that's pretty cool yeah certainly sounds like it looks a lot cleaner i'm, I'm excited to try this thing out what was so we kind of had some pre-interview communication and apparently there's a fun story you have from visiting the factory where you guys get this made if you want to share that uh yeah so i uh, when i was thinking about this interview it really brought me back to years and years ago it was really just thinking about you know this topic of where how did switch get started and it made me reminisce on the good old days where i was just an engineer with no real aspirations to be an entrepreneur and my frustration of kind of semi-engineering these amazing e-bike kits because to get it right i had to go to china i've been to china you know like more than 15 times now and seven of those times was before even starting switch was going there looking at where my products were coming from and basically just taking over control of the factory because often they didn't know really what they were doing or didn't try to you know really put that duty of care to make the products come out right and so that was really fun and gave me an insight into, you know, really basic manufacturing engineering. Um, and so I became a bit of an expert at that. But still, I was only selling a few hundred grand worth of these a year because, you know, I just hadn't yet really figured out how to sell more. And then it was one time in the factory, I bumped into this other Western guy from a pretty much a kind of competitor Indiegogo brand. who I won't, you know, name any names. And he was an absolute marketing genius, but uh, the same could not be said for his engineering skills. And so there we were, me as this decent engineer, trying to figure out how to sell this product. Brilliant product, were, you know, really reliable, good quality, but not selling enough of them. And this guy who had just made, you know, more sales than I make in a year in one day on Indiegogo, now in China, trying to figure out how to build the thing. <laughs> um, and yeah so step I mean, one sell it step two yeah, figure out how exactly. to make it <laughs> he had, no, and he, had, he had no idea and this is and the fun story to kind of summarize that i love telling where and i tell this story to kind of you know justify uh or to kind of explain how i suddenly realized how important you know marketing and engineering together are because you can't really succeed with one without the other and maybe history would have played out differently if this guy had accepted my proposal to join forces. I was like, look, you're selling this stuff, but you don't know how to make it. Why don't let's become equal partners? I'll make the stuff good and you can sell it. And luckily he wasn't interested, but <laughs> he was more than willing to get my free help whilst we were there. Anyway, so he had this problem, which was that his e-bike that he was making, a complete e-bike, was meant to be 350 watts. 
Um, but he had designed it assuming the controller was going to be the size of a 250 watt motor controller. So, and he was really obsessed with the with the look and feel of this e-bike. So it was paramount that the controller didn't get any bigger because that would ruin the look and feel. So he'd ask them to put a 350 watt controller in there and they said it wasn't possible. And he said, no, try again. And then lo and behold, it came back and they they were like, yeah, we've put a 350 watt controller in there. But he had this problem was that it kept blowing up. The controller kept burning out. <laughs> Let me pause you for a second so that we all understand what we're th- what, what people are probably envisioning in their head. And I wanted to, when you say controller, are you talking just a circuit and it's getting overloaded by that extra 100 watts? Like, what is the controller part? Okay, imagine a little metal box with wires coming out of it. And inside, inside is a load of circuitry. And basically, it, this is the bit, you put the battery in one end and the motor on the other end. And this is the bit that turns the battery power and feeds it to the motor. So okay. it's like the... Just trying to think what the equivalent, common equivalent is. But yeah, it's the, it's the power electronics. If, if anyone listening knows what MOSFETs are, it's basically a box containing MOSFETs and some circuitry. And then the MOSFETs are switches that drive the motor. And gotcha. the MOSFETs uh, will burn out if you make them carry too much current. And that's what was happening. Anyway, so he goes, look, Ollie, I need you to help me with this problem. I was like, yeah, sure, what's the problem? And he showed me this controller. He's like, look, this is our 350 watt controller. Um, and I said, "Oh, let me stop you there." I was like, "No, that's the two. That's the two hundred and fifty watt controller." And I and I knew because I could see this controller had six MOSFETs on the side screwed in. I've seen so many e-bike controllers. I knew immediately this was a two hundred fifty watt controller because I'd never seen a three hundred fifty watt controller in like really ever with six MOSFETs. They normally had nine MOSFETs, and you know, and bigger controllers had twelve MOSFETs. And I could just see, you know. And he was like, no, 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 no. And he's like, oh, you know, I could tell he was like losing confidence in me as an engineer immediately. <laughs> like, no, Oliver, this is a 350 watt controller. I was like, no, it's not. And he was like, okay, well, anyway, the problem is this 350 watt controller is burning out. And I was like, <laughs> no bloody wonder, because this is a 250 watt controller. You're not trying to make this do 350 watts, are you? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, no, Oliver, I'm telling you, this is a 350 watt controller. And I said, oh, why? How do you know? And he's like, look right here. It says 350 watts. And I said, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, fine. I, let me believe. I'd like, look, go and find a 250 watt controller and show me so I can see the difference. Because, you know, poor, I, oh, clearly I'm not a good engineer, so I don't know the difference. Please educate me. Comes back with a 250 watt controller and it's the same. Obviously, it's the same size, just looks a bit different. And I go, give me a second. I take it. I take out a Sharpie. I write 350 <laughs> watts on it. And I go, look. This is now a 350 watt controller. And in that second, he suddenly understood what was going on and apologized. <laughs> and I said, Look, you need me to help you with your product because they, you're just going to fall for this trick over and over again. Otherwise, and he said, yeah, you're right. You're right. But never followed through. So, well, luckily. That's hilarious. I, but the point of that story is it made me realize, look, I'm the real mug here because I'm putting all of this blood, sweat and tears into getting these products out of China that are really good quality, but hardly anyone's buying them. And this guy, you know, is, um, is selling, is selling loads of these things. And then, uh, and then he's just delivering crap. And I was like, look, if I could combine both, then we'd be onto a winner. Imagine if I could figure out how to do marketing well enough to get the kind of sales he was, but then follow through with the good engineering I knew how to do. And yeah, and that was kind of what set me on the 
I had this in the back of my mind that I needed to do this one way or the other. Uh, and then when the day came later that I had this epiphany for the product, I was like, I know what to do. We're going to put this idea on Indiegogo and everything will be fine. And was it? Yeah. Uh, I, and it was like, I had the idea and four months later, we'd raised 300 grand on Indiegogo. It was four months from idea to crowdfund. And yeah, I owe a lot of that to having kind of seen what was possible, you know, to, to take an idea and sell it through that, that marketing technique. And yeah, and the rest is just history. We, we learned how to get products out there so that people wanted to buy them and get the cash flow and the interest so that we could follow through. And I think we've made, we've made and delivered like more than 15,000 switch kits uh, wow. in time. That's awesome. And when was that? When did the Indiegogo campaign close? And when did you first deliver from that? Let's see. The Indiegogo camp, I had the idea in May 2017. The Indiegogo campaign kicked off in October. And we thought we'd be able to deliver in March. And then really we delivered in August. And yeah, it was the classic story of like, in theory, we could have delivered in March, actually. But then month by month, issues came up where we had to make a decision like, what's more important, meeting our promise or what well, is like, what's more important, meeting our promise in terms of time or meeting or like exceeding expectations in terms of quality. And yeah, we made the right decision. It was really, really painful as a first time company doing a crowdfunding with a new product, kind of trying to keep customers on site in that period where we hadn't delivered yet, but we were promising we would and then delivering. But it was all worth it because then, you know, set after delivery in August, all the customers were happy and the number of problems we had with like returns and stuff was very minimal. And uh, that allowed us to succeed as a business. But yeah, that was probably one of the most painful periods was trying to do the do the right thing in terms of get the engineering right, make sure the product was 100% right before we delivered it, but keeping customers on the side and patient and waiting and understanding because, you know, these these guys understandably just were desperate to get their product. Summer had come and gone in August and we were delivering. Um, but uh, going back to other Indiegogo campaigners that I've come across, I think often they make the mistake of, just getting the product out and then they want to do the next one, but then they're, they're left with this long trail of technical problems that they're cleaning up for years and years afterwards because what they delivered in the first place just wasn't engineered well enough. Yeah, I think you made the right decision for sure, obviously. But yeah, getting the product right is the most important because people will forget having to wait a little bit longer, but they'll always remember if they got a really crappy product and hated it and wasted money, so... Well, let's just real quick. I mean, the stories were awesome. I appreciate you sharing that stuff just for the people who might be interested and they're sitting here kind of wondering, okay, well, what are the specs? Like just super fast, like, you know, how much power does this thing put out? How long does the battery last? What kind of range can people get out of this? And then where can we find you guys on social and online and stuff? So 250 watts is the power and that's kind of equivalent to an average man's leg power. So for people that aren't familiar with like what, what how much watts is you know how much there's a pun there anyway how much how much watts is what it's like doubling your leg power so you're powering the back wheel the motor's powering the front wheel the range is a really tricky question to answer so we give kind of the average range so if you're pedaling medium pedal power and the motor is on at medium motor power our upper spec kit gives you 50 kilometers range or like 30 something miles 
obviously, if you stop pedaling and let the motor do all the work, that's going to plummet. Equally, if you uh, turn the motor to zero power and you pedal, you get infinite range. So kind of <laughs> anything between zero and infinity, but average of 50 kilometers. As long as you charge yourself with burritos and stuff, then yes. infinite range. Stop off for the occasional burrito. You could go around the world on one charge. Absolutely. Do they have burritos in the UK? I love burritos. Mexican food is one of my favorites. Excellent. Not every, uh, well, you know, I'm switching over to EU, but like a lot of times when we travel, finding good Mexican food in the EU is virtually impossible. Oh no. In London, we have loads of burrito chains. In fact, I was going as far to say is there was kind of like a, a mini food startup gold rush where like four different Mexican food chains erupted in the same year. One was called Tortilla. One was called, anyway, I love Mexican food. So that was a good year for me. Excellent. Well, cool. If I ever get over there to visit you guys, that's, uh, you know, where we're going to eat. So. Absolutely. I know, I know where the nearest three Mexican food places are to flat. So you've got good space. Excellent. Cool. Okay. And people can check you guys out at switchbike.com and that's S W Y T C H because branding, because it wouldn't be a cool, funky brand name if we didn't like switch up one of the letters to a weird one. <laughs> yep. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. And other links, we'll put links to your social in the post and along with some photos and stuff. And yeah, people can check that out. Just go to bikerumor.com and search switch. Awesome. Oliver, thanks a ton for your time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I really admire folks like Oliver who had the gumption to take an idea and run with it, quitting their day job, but being smart enough to stick with that paycheck until they've proven the concept first. What I liked about his story is the insight he provided into how some products get made. It's why so many brands end up having a full-time manufacturer's rep on the ground in Asia to oversee production, ensuring that what's coming out of the factory is what they actually specified. It might also be a good reason why buying brand name stuff from companies that actually have their own engineers on staff is a good idea too. We have one of the Switch systems in for review and I'll post that soon. So be sure to follow us on social at BikeRumor so you get a little notice every time we post something new. And definitely subscribe to our newsletter for a weekly drop of our best stories right in your inbox. As for our Switch review, there are some really interesting installation notes that we didn't cover in this interview. So you'll wanna see that for sure. If you like this and you want more great reviews with the people behind the products and brands we all ride, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and if you could, give us a quick rating and review. That really helps us grow the audience and help keep getting amazing guests for you. Thanks a ton, and until next time, keep the rubber side down.